epistle of Titus is in actuality a letter that Paul wrote unto a preacher that he led unto Christ named Titus. Paul had left Titus in Crete and gave him charge of the churches to finish establishing them and set pastors in each one. And so in this letter, we find Paul giving this young preacher instructions on how to guide the churches there. This is important because it sheds much light on what behaviors should be preached unto those who follow Christ. Join us today for the message titled, The Preacher's Instructions. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11, the Bible says this. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we call upon your holy name this hour. Lord, if you don't show up, in the hearts of your people, it's all in vain. I have nothing in myself to offer them. I am weak and feeble. God, but you're almighty. And God, I pray, Lord, that you speak to the hearts of this people. God, I ask you, Lord, that you reveal unto them where they're at and where they need to be. And God, I pray you show them the way to get there. God, I pray, Lord, you hide me behind the cross. Help me not to hinder your word. Help me not to mess it up. And I pray, God, you take every distraction in our mind that will divert our attention away from you and what you have for us. God, remove it out of our presence and help us just to for a few moments, focus upon you. We love you, and thank you, Lord, for you first loved us. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This book, Titus, is labeled that, for it is a letter addressed to a preacher by the name of Titus. Titus is spoken of throughout Scripture, throughout the epistles of Paul. Paul had referred to him as mine own son after the common faith in verse number 4 of this book. The Bible tells us that Paul left him in Crete to set things in order and to ordain elders in verse number 5. Paul was comforted by his arrival in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians 7, 6. 
Paul referred to Titus as his partner and fellow helper concerning the Corinth church in 2 Corinthians 8. So Titus was a preacher that labored with Paul. Paul had won him to the Lord. Paul had showed him the things of God and then had turned him loose to set things in order in Crete. That means to those things that had went undone, that had not yet been accomplished or set in order, the house of God there in Crete, he charged him to do that and then to ordain preachers that they might preach and proclaim the gospel. And so Titus was a man of God. He was a preacher of God that, uh, that was very familiar with Paul. In chapter 2 here, if you were to go back, you would see that he says in verse number 1, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And then in verse number 2, he starts giving him instruction directed to the aged men. In verse number 3 through 5, to the aged women. Verses 4 and 5, specifically speaking about what the aged women ought to be teaching the young women. And then verse number 6 through 8, uh, direction concerning the young men. Verse number 9 and 10, that of servants. And so he, he, he speaks all these things here. He gives them what he should be teaching and training these people. And then you have verse number 15 kind of sums it all up. Verse number 15 says, he says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Now, I was reading in a commentary, and Barnes say, uh, says this concerning that verse. It says the word authority here means command. The sense here is he was to do it decidedly, without ambiguity, without compromise, and without keeping anything back. He was to state these things not as being advice or counsel, but as the requirement of God. And so he's telling them, he says, don't just tell them this is what they should do. You tell them this is what they need to do, what is commanded of God. And so you have Paul the preacher telling the preacher, he says, hey preacher, this is what you need to preach. And you have God instructing Paul, guiding the pen. And so these are direct commandments from God through the preacher, unto the preacher that should be proclaimed to the congregation. That's what we have here. And so I want to give just for a little bit, just for a few moments, I want to give you this message titled The Preacher's Instructions. The Preacher's Instructions. What Paul gave the preacher, he instructed him to do. We see that concerning the scripture in which we read, the preacher's instructions involves the regeneration of God. Verse number 11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And so what he's supposed to preach involves the regeneration of God. How man is supposed to be born again. We see number one, it cannot be earned. For by the grace of God. I want you to know and I want you to know emphatically you cannot earn salvation. It is by grace. They don't like that. 
But that is how salvation comes. It is by God's grace, unmerited favor. If you're trying to get the salvation because of something you did, you're going to lift up your eyes in hell. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.24, it says, being justified freely. Remember that word justified, the easy way to remember it is just as if I'd never sinned. A state of righteousness in the sight of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, speaking of Adam and the sin that came through him, he says, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Romans 5.20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And I could go on and on and on. I have more scripture there. But, but the, he's telling the preacher, you need to proclaim that salvation is by God's grace and by His grace alone. That's how it is attained. That's how it is attained. He says to proclaim it, that it is available unto everyone. It says, the grace of God hath, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I can assure you this, and that is that if there was some type of litmus test that God set out unto men to see if they were worthy of salvation, I'd have failed. I would have failed spectacularly. Paul states, he says, I am the chiefest of sinners. You know, he, he claims that title, title, but I tell you what, I have a hard time when I read about Paul, even when he's confessing how wicked he used to be, I have a hard time believing that that man, sin, could compare him to mine. I'm not going to brag about my sin, but I just want you to know that, that God saved me. He saved me, even me. If he can save me, he can save you. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what type of sin you have committed. But God is able to save to the uttermost anyone that will put their trust in. And so he's speaking unto the preacher and he says, you need to preach that it is by God's grace. It cannot be earned. It is available unto everyone. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 4, 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, speaking about that woman at the well, says, whosoever drinketh of the water, uh, of this water, shall thirst again. He says, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. John 9, 11, 25, Jesus said unto uh, Martha there, 
of Lazarus says, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Follows up with that question, believest thou this? And I'll just say this and I'll move on. Do you believe that today? I hope you do. I hope you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. I hope that is what you're trusting in to get you to heaven. Because that's the only thing that will get you there. Jesus Christ. And then so he says, preacher, I want you to preach that salvation is by grace. Man, it's available unto all. You don't have to say that it's, it's available unto those that will do this. And it's not available unto those who will do that. Man, but God's grace is sufficient to cover a multitude of sins. But it's not just that. It is an education, an educating agent. Verse number 12. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Now, how does it teach us, preacher? What does that mean? Well, that means this. If you have experienced the grace of God, you've experienced if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, something miraculous happens. Something miraculous happens. And I'm not just talking about passing from death unto life and heaven is now your eternal home. There's something else miraculous happens. And that is God takes His Holy Spirit and indwells you and seals you, places you into the family of God. And so I stand before you today, a mortal man, but I have the Spirit of God living within me. Bible tells us in John 14, 26, Jesus is getting ready to leave this earth. He says, you know, I must go, for if I go not, the Comforter will not come. John 14, 26, he says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And so this grace that we're talking about. He's saying, preacher, listen, tell them that, that salvation comes by grace and that it'll teach them things. It will show them things. It will instruct them in the manner in which they ought to go. Now, see, I want you to understand something. This is the fruit test. This is a fruit test anyway. If you have not the Spirit of God in you directing you right from wrong, truth from error, and you are none of his. You are none of his. Because the grace of God teaches, teaches us. And we go on, we look on. He says, preacher, I want you to preach this. I want you to tell the congregations this. You're, you're ordaining elders. You are setting things in motion. And this is what I want you to show. And that is that I want you to instruct them that uh, the, about the regeneration of God, how one is born again. But it also includes something else. All too often, man, we look at Jesus as a get-out-of-hell card. That's how we view Him. And that's how we view salvation. And, and that's all it's about. Let me tell you what, it's about so much more than that. So much more. He says he wants you to include the responsibility of God's children. I have children. You know that. Uh, those of you that know me, you know that. I have two children. They're not here today. I have a beautiful wife. She's not here today. 
God has blessed me tremendously. But I tell you what, I have two kids, and I love them dearly. But they don't get just to do whatever they want to at my house. Amen. They have responsibilities. They have responsibilities that I have given them. They don't just have responsibilities that I don't know what somebody else says or how somebody else instructs them. They have responsibilities unto me because I am their father. And I have given them the way I want them to go. I have given them my expectations. I have given them commands. And we just spoke about that, how, how in verse number 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority commands from our Father. From our Father. So let's look and see what our responsibilities are. I do believe there is a definite and definitive correlation between what we believe and how we behave. Let me say that again. I believe there is a connection between what we believe and how we behave. You might, as a child of your father, go off into a pigsty but at some point, uh, at some point, you're going to come to yourself, the Scripture says. And you're going to go back to your father. Why? Because he was his father's child. And so while his behavior did not resemble that for a moment, it did show that before and it did show that afterwards that he was his father's child. He used to preach... The responsibility of God's children. Well, number one, it in involves denying some things. Verse number 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Now, there's two things that he mentions specifically that we are to deny, we're to get away from, we're to reject, we're to speak against, we're not to be involved in. And number one is ungodliness. That Greek word means uh, just simply wickedness. Wickedness. Let me tell you what. Our culture, our society today is full of wickedness. Just full of it. And things that, things that once was looked at as taboo, once it was looked at as shamefulness, man, they are celebrated today. Drunkenness. Let's just, let's just tackle a, a few of them. Drunkenness. It used to be when, when, when someone was a drunk, they didn't, they didn't parade that around. They would do it in the closet. They would do it in, 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 in more in secret. But in our society today, in our society today, man, you can't turn on the, the TV without seeing Clydesdales run around and all that promoting that sin. It's all around us. Oh, and then, you know, they'll, 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 hey, drink the best, drink this or drink that, and then they'll put at the end of it, but drink responsibly. How stupid is that? Celebrated in our society. Adultery used to be something that's looked down upon. 
uh, now there's uh, apps and websites and everything to, to get you to. Those commercials you see on the TV as well. Adultery, uh, fornication. Let me just say this, and I want to say it very clear so it's understood. Sex outside of wedlock is still wrong. I didn't get many amens. But let me tell you what, the angels did. And God did, because it's still true. Sex outside of wedlock is still wrong. But our society today promotes it. Our society today accepts it. Our society today, man, I tell you what, you've got people waiting with bated breath to look at the next magazine or, or website to see, you know, what celebrity sleeping with who. Right? You got TV shows that, that that's all it is, 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 you know, A is sleeping with C and then D's with A, and, and, and it doesn't even matter if they're male or female anymore. I mean, it's wicked. It's all wicked. We're to deny that. We're supposed to speak against it, and we're sure not supposed to be part of it. I mean, I could go on. Abortion, Alyssa Milano, y'all probably know her. I was, you know, what, uh, 10 years old. I thought she was cute. And who's the boss? I heard, yeah. I see Ned's head's nodding. But, uh, you know, I saw something on, on, on her just this past week, and she's bragging about killing her babies. She said, I had two abortions when I was younger, and I, I'm, I'm not sorry I did it, because had I not done that, I would not have the career I have today. Bragging about it. I, I think I've uh, spoken enough on sodomy. I don't think I need to uh, go there. Time would not allow me to speak how perverted our culture has become to accept that as normal. I mean, you, you don't even have to look at the Bible to tell you that that's not normal. You have to understand that a square peg can't go in a round hole. Amen? I mean, it's just unnatural. Science will tell you that it's unnatural, but yet it's um, celebrated in our society. And uh, the validity of these things and, and, and how they are, whether they're seen as good or right or wrong, my opinion does not matter on it. Listen, my opinion is as good as Alyssa Milano's. My opinion is as good as any of those stupid celebrities that are on TV. My opinion doesn't matter. But what matters is the Word of God. And that's what I stand on. And as Christians, that's what we need to stand on. It's what God says. Because His opinion does matter. And it's the only one that does. But understand, and, and, and most of us, I hope... Don't have problems with this stuff. If you do, I do counsel. Uh, but that's not the only thing that he said that we should deny, to stay away from, speak against. He says denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Now, these aren't necessarily wicked things. But they are things that get between you and God. They are things, if they are a God unto you, are evil, and they are wicked. Yeah. I, I, of course, I have a list there. I went, did I tell you all about my fishing expedition? I went fishing. Me and my daddy went fishing. He caught a whopper. I didn't catch anything. 
By whopper, I mean that, you know. <laughs> Someone said he caught bait. But, uh, but uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed spending time with my dad, and I enjoyed casting that line out into the, into the uh, river. I, I had fun with it. But you know what? That is fine when it's in its proper place. But it's when it becomes a God undie that it becomes wicked. Same thing with honey. Same thing with sports. Same thing with uh, your money. Money's good. Hey, man, I like it. I don't know about y'all. If y'all don't like it, if you have some, just give it to me. I'll appreciate it. Hey, money, there's nothing wrong with money. The Bible doesn't say money is evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so, it's fine in its proper place. All these things are fine in their proper place. But they become worldly lusts when they take the place of God or they supersede God. And so he says, as a, a responsibility of his children, we are supposed to deny some things, ungodliness and worldly lust, but it, but it also involves demonstrating some things in our lives. Number one, we're supposed to live soberly. Soberly, that word, uh, verse number 12 still, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. This is the contrast, right? It's what should be demonstrated in our life. We should live soberly. That word means with a sound mind, with a sound mind or moderately. Now, when we think of sober, oftentimes we think of the antithesis or the opposite of uh, drunkenness. Drunkenness being where, uh, you know, when someone is intoxicated, they do all kinds of really smart stuff, right? No, they do all kinds of really stupid stuff. Right. Why? Because they're not thinking with a sober mind. They're not thinking things through. They're, 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 they're acting on impulse. Let me tell you what. Your flesh has horrible impulses. Horrible. And so he's saying you need to be sober-minded. You need to think things through. And I want you to understand this. Listen. Christianity is rational. The Word of God is rational. You don't have to suspend belief in order to believe in it. If you will take it for what it is and think soberly on it, consider it, it makes all the sense in the world. There are some people that, that, that fear science or fear scientists and things like that. Man, I don't fear them at all. Why? Because my God's a God of science. And there's not ever going to be anything scientific that will contradict his word. And if you think there is, we'll talk. I'd be glad to have that conversation with anybody. It doesn't matter. Uh, because my God is supreme. He is right. This is his word. That's the way it is. So we're to live soberly. We're also to live righteously. That means equitable or justly. In other words, we're to be just in our dealings, in all things. We should live righteous lives, but not just righteous lives. We should live godly. In short, uh, we should live like God as much as we can. Now, I'm in this flesh. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, and, and neither are you, and, and we'll not be perfect until we get to glory, and we'll not be God even then, but we are to live like God would. We are to live godly. 
I mentioned this, I think, on Wednesday. And a lot of what I'm telling you here is not popular at all. You're not going to hear this in a lot of places because most, most churches, man, they, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll maybe share the gospel with you, and then they want you to get you in and, and get your money. That's all they want. It's all they want. But I'm going to give you the truth. And uh, if the church doesn't like you, you can kick me out. I'll give you the truth while I'm walking out the door. It doesn't matter. So live soberly, righteously, and godly. There is such a thing as living holy. And God has commanded us to live holy. Now, He doesn't command the heathen to do that. If you're lost, then you go live how you want to. That's your option. You're not His. You're, he's not your father, so you don't have to listen to what He says. You know, my children better listen to me because I am their father. If one of you tells them to do something, I'll weigh whether it's necessary or not, and I'll tell them whether they should do it or not. And if they, if they disregard what you say, then they, they disregard what you say. You're not their father, but I am. And if you're not his, if you've never been born again, man, live your life how you want to and die and go to hell if that's what you wish. That is your call. But as a child of God, which is what I am, I am to live as he has instructed me to live. And part of that wants me to live like him. I'm his representative. Ephesians 4.24 says, And that ye put on the new man, which is after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, again, going back to our relationship unto our Father, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance... But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. I'm going to give you this, and then we'll move on. We speak about those obedient children. We see in 1 Peter there, and I've told you about my children, how I have expectations, I have commands, they better follow them. What happens if they don't? There's consequences. There's consequences. But my children, they do not listen to what I say. There's consequences. Do you not think that as a child of God, accountable unto your Father, that when you disobey Him, there's consequences? Some of you experience things in your life, and you wonder why. And we always seem to blame Satan, right? Oh, Satan's doing this or Satan's doing that. Let me tell you what, that might be the paddle on your hind end. It just very well may be. It may be. Because that's what uh, good fathers do. They correct their children when they're astray. Let me say it again, that's what good fathers do. Correct their children when they're astray. Now, bad fathers, they don't. And they, their, their children go off and they do whatever. They don't correct them and, and, and that's that. And then they, they live like hell and then later on they wonder what, what went wrong. But good fathers will correct their children when they go astray. And I have the best father in heaven. Amen. And so the, the way he's telling us, uh, the, the preacher to preach unto the people, he says regarding the responsibilities of your children or uh, of the Christians there, 
The responsibilities under God, it includes denying some things. It includes demonstrating some things in her life. And it includes being deliberate in their focus. Verse number 13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Put your thinking caps on. I just had a flashback. I can't remember what grade it was. They'd tell me, put your, put your thinking caps on. We'd go. When's the last time you said to yourself, you know, today could be the day Jesus comes back. When's the last time you really thought that without being prompted? When's the last time? Odds are, been a while. We go about our lives living day to day, and we don't really consider that. But he tells us to consider it. I'll tell you why he tells us to consider it. Because when you are looking, actively looking for his return, then it actively alters your behavior. I've given you an illustration. I'm going to give you a different one. Uh, it involves the same thing years ago, back when I was lost. Uh, my wife and I, we lived in a little garage apartment in Nitro. And um, Friday night or Saturday night, the night before, and we were sleeping in, and uh, we woke up to a knock on the door. We woke up to a knock on the door, and it was a persistent knock. It's not a knock you could kind of, you know, that go away. We went to the door, and it was her dad, Dina's dad. If you know my wife, listen, she's a pretty meticulous house cleaner. And the house was a mess, absolute mess. She was mortified. We shut the door in his face, scurried around trying to pick up before he'd come in. Now, how many of you have been, have been in a similar situation where you get an unexpected knock on the door and your house isn't in order? You women, you know what I'm talking about, right? You get that knock on the door and it's a preacher, it's somebody and like, oh my goodness, my underwear is in the floor. And you shut the door and you try to hurry up and pick up real quick. My wife does not like that, and so she routinely, you know, constantly, daily affair, picks up the house. If there's one thing out of, out of whack, she freaks out. If you're expecting someone, it actively alters your behavior. If, if, if uh, we know that someone is coming to visit or something like that, then she does all the extra stuff, right? Not maybe the daily routine stuff, but all the extra stuff because you're expecting it. And if you are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, you're looking for that, it'll actively alter your behavior. You'll live different. You'll live like you should have been living before. Right? And so, 
That is part of what he told the uh, preacher to preach as far as the responsibility unto God. And we see that this instruction regarded preaching the regeneration of God, responsibilities of God's children, and then uh, lastly it incorporates uh, the reasons for redemption. Verse number 14 we see this. It says, "...who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works." Now, that verse says a lot. And it sets aside some of the common notions as to what salvation is all about. We see that one of the reasons, and I say one of the reasons God saved us, uh, one of the reasons for the grace of God <coughs> was obviously to save us. Verse number uh, 14, He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity. He saved us because He loves us, according to John 3.16. He saved us because we were without strength. We had no way to, to do it on our own, according to Romans 5.6. He saved us because we had no hope, according to Ephesians 2.12. Uh, and so, he, 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 he died for us to save us. And what did He save us from? He saved us from an eternal damnation. He saved us. Thank God He loved us enough to save us. Thank God He saw our need and saved us. Thank God He saw we had absolutely no hope outside of Him, and so therefore He saved us. But understand, that is the first thing that's mentioned, but not the only thing in verse number 14. To redeem us from all iniquity. You see this, and purify. And purify unto Himself. Peculiar people. He saved us. The reason for redemption was to save us, but also to shape us. Purify means to make clean, to take away the imperfections. That's what that means to purify something, is to take out those things that don't belong so it can be whole. Take out the leaven so it'll be a, a, a whole lump without leaven. It's the same principle as the potter with the clay. You know, a potter has the clay on there, and he sees it, and he starts molding and making it. If there's uh, things in there that don't belong, then he can remove those things. It's the same principle as water washing over stones to take the edges off and shape them in a certain way. Listen, God didn't just uh, give his life for you to save you. He wants to purify you too. We stop at the saving part when actually it continues on. And to uh, purify himself, a peculiar people. This passage of Scripture is actually the very first passage of Scripture I ever preached out of. I ever preached out. I had forgotten that until I was studying this last night. It was on the peculiar people. That word peculiar, the way that is defined... We think of it oftentimes in a negative con connotation as odd or irregular, but the way that is defined, that, that literally means beyond usual. You know, church, listen. As Christians, we're supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to be different from the world. I don't know why we want to claim Jesus Christ and then live like everybody else. I don't know why we want to claim Jesus Christ and, and, and not show that. 
Uh, we're supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to be different from other people. We're different in our thoughts, our expectations, our desires. That is another reason that God set us, uh, saved us, was to sanctify us, to set us apart, to make us different. And then, to, lastly, to set our minds on good works. Let me read uh, verse 14 in its entirety now. Who gave himself for us, that he might, number one, redeem us from all iniquity, Number two, purify unto himself. Number three, a peculiar people, different, special, and that they were lastly zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. Now, there's so much evil in the world today, church. So much. You don't have to go far to see it. God desires his people to display good. And not this that we would do it, but that we would be zealous of doing it. That we would desire to do it. You know, if you're zealous of something, it kind of prompts you to, to an action. It moves you to a, to a place. It, it, it has a way of, of guiding you in a, in a path. If you're zealous of something... He says he wants his people to be zealous of good works. Works are important to the Christian. They're just not important for salvation, but they're important to the Christian. We should be displaying good works. One of the reasons he saved us. He saved us to be his ambassadors. He saved us so that we would be uh, ministering the gospel. And so he saved us for several reasons, not just so you could get out of hell. Thank God that's part of it. Amen. Thank God that's part of it, but that's not the only reason, church. It's not the only reason. 